So hello, my name is Bill, and I have a new life in Christ. And I struggle with conforming. You know, earlier we, uh, we read in Romans 12 not to conform to this world. But that's something I typically do. Uh, Sunday nights up here, we uh, have a class called Regen, Regeneration. It's a recovery program. There's 12 of us going through it right now. And uh, how I introduce myself is how we're supposed to introduce ourselves each and every Sunday night. And when we started Regeneration, I thought, man, that is a weird, crazy way to do it. And I didn't like it. But what I found is it serves a couple of purposes. And the main purpose it serves is to remind us of our identity, our true identity. And if you're like me, and you've allowed Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then your identity is a Christian. Your identity is that you are a child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and dwelt with the Holy Spirit and His power. And that is powerful and awesome and amazing. But man, I forget that a lot. I forget that all the time. And if I don't wake up in the morning, get on my knees and remind myself that I'm a child of God, my day's usually shot, goes the wrong way. And what do I mean? You know, when I was in school 20 plus years ago, man, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be part of something. I wanted to be in the group. Right? But to do that, the way I accomplished that was, man, whenever... The kids sat around the planters and talked before school, during school, after school. Man, I'd sit right there and tell those dirty jokes with them. Man, they'd say some cuss words. Man, I'd throw one in every now and then just so I was part of the group. You know, they'd talk about the teachers, other students, gossip, slander. And man, I'd go right along with them. Because I was scared to death that if I quit or stood up for those kids, those teachers, they'd turn on me then I wouldn't be accepted, then I wouldn't be loved. But the whole time, Jesus Christ loved me, cared for me. And you know, that habit has carried over into today. When I go to work this week, if I don't remind myself of my true identity in the mornings, if I don't remind myself throughout the day, if I don't die to myself, pick up my cross, and go where God has called me to go, then I'm going to fall back in those old habits listen to people at work, listen to those jokes, gossip right along with them, talk about other people I work with, and that's not good, and that's not correct. So to overcome, I have to pick up my cross daily. All right? And when we start out with Hello, My Name Is, our name's just a title, right? It's part of us, but I have many titles. Father, son, friend, brother, but you know those titles, they can be changed. They don't have to define me, right? I guess somebody could call me William, Bill, Bob, Don, right? It, it, it doesn't matter, okay? But if we lose our identity, we don't wake up in the morning knowing that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we are a child of God, then we allow the world, this sinful, broken world, to put labels on us. Those people around us will put labels on us, and we will claim those as our identity, right? Say he's smart, nice, funny, silly, right? Hard worker, workaholic, maybe prideful, worthless, worrisome, stressed. And man, those aren't always good things. 
Even though some of them sound great, man, it's not my identity. They're just traits. We're going to go through Daniel today and finish off the Jesus is Better Than series with Daniel. We know Daniel from Daniel in the lion's den, children's, you know, little books when I was little. But we're going to mainly stay in chapter 1 this morning. And we're going to see how Daniel was removed from his comfort zone, his home in Judah, with his family, his friends, where he grew up, where he gained his knowledge, where he went to school, right? And we're going to see he was taken to a foreign nation, a nation of pagan gods. But Daniel didn't conform because Daniel stayed true to the one true God. Uh, we're going to read a little bit out of chapter 1 this morning. Uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. The king commanded Ashpenaz, who was in charge of his court officials, to choose some of the Israelites who were of royal and noble descent, young men in whom there was no physical defect, and who were handsome, well-versed in all kinds of wisdom, well-educated, and having keen insight and who were capable of entering the king's royal service and to teach them the literature and language of the Babylonians. So the king assigned them a daily ration from his royal delicacies, the wine he drank himself. They were to be trained for the next three years. At the end of that time, they were to enter the king's service. As it turned out, among these young men were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. But the overseers of the court officials renamed them. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar. Hananiah, he named Shadrach, Mishael, he named Meshach, and Azariah, he named Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the royal delicacies or the royal wine. He therefore asked the overseer of the court officials for permission not to defile himself. You see, they changed his name. They tried to assimilate him. They took him out of his comfort zone into a new place, into his mission field into his own mission field, just like we have ours. But he didn't conform. He stayed true to the one true God. And we see that carry out all the way through the book of Daniel, that Daniel stays true to God. Through misery, through hardship, right? But we see him stay true. In the end, though, we know that there's one better than Daniel. Even though he looks awesome in this book, we know that Daniel still sinned. says so in chapter 6. But we know that, Dan, that Jesus is better than Daniel. Matt's going to come up and knock it out of the park. Amen. Man, thank you, Bill. It's a privilege to uh, co-pastor uh, this, this, this flock alongside Bill, and I appreciate uh, Bill's words this morning. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how Jesus is better than Daniel. We good? All right. That was very enthusiastic. Thank you. Um, so Daniel's primary theme throughout the book. A lot of times we miss the point of this incredible book. And, and Daniel is a book that's quoted a lot in the New Testament. It's quoted uh, more by the book of Revelation than Revelation quotes anything else. Um, a lot of times we miss the point of Daniel because we get caught up in trying to figure out when the end of the world's going to be, uh, or we miss the point of Daniel because we get caught up in just kind of extracting good moral tales from Daniel. But what I believe that the primary goal of this book is, is to point to this one who is better, this one who is greater than Daniel, uh, Jesus Christ to come. And Daniel, Daniel's overwhelming theme is that our sovereign God 
controls events in this world. He judges and protects individuals as well as empires, and he is at work establishing his eternal and unshakable kingdom on earth. There's a sovereign God who is faithful and reliable and who is guiding the events of history and who is guiding your own life, even when your life looks like it has exploded and is and the pieces are everywhere, and who could possibly ever put Humpty Dumpty together again? God is sovereign, and he can turn your misery into ministry. When Daniel got taken with his friends to this faraway pagan um, nation, far from his temple, far from his home, far from his family, his walls of his city were in ruins, his temple was in ruins, uh, everything uh, had fallen apart in his life, it would have been easy for Daniel just to sink in misery. It would have been easy for Daniel just to give in, give up, lay down, quit. It would have been really easy for Daniel to conform and just become like all of the Babylonians around him, just become just like the pagans around him. But by the grace of God, by the power of God's Spirit, Daniel resolved in his heart that he was not going to be like everybody else. Daniel resolved in his heart, he said his heart, he said his mind, that, that, um, that he would not defile himself, he would not conform, but he would be transformed. And that's the same struggle that you face, I face when we get up and we go to work, we get up, we go to school, we, we walk down our street. That's the struggle we face as we live in our own Babylon. Babylon throughout Scripture, especially in Daniel and in Revelation, Babylon is kind of placed in contrast to Jerusalem. We're not talking about physical locations here. In the book of Revelation, Jerusalem is this picture of God's people who are holy and pure and and set apart. And Babylon is this picture of this world system that we live in, which is in opposition to God and rebellious against God. And the book of Revelation really tells a tale of two cities. And and the question becomes, do we want to be loyal to, will we be faithful to, will we be defined by, will our outlook be shaped by, will our worldview be shaped by, will we find our identity in Jerusalem or Babylon? Will we be people who are of this world and are conformed to it, or will we be people who are set apart and transformed by the renewing of our minds? And so, and so America is a great place to live. It's the greatest Babylon that's ever been, but it's part of this world. It's part of this broken world. It's the greatest Babylon we could ever live in, but it's Babylon. And, and, and our identity doesn't come from here. Babylon and Daniel and Babylon and Revelation is this picture of the shakable kingdom, this kingdom that will not last forever, but will be and is supplanted by this unshakable kingdom ruled by God himself. May you have a better king. There's a better king than Matt. There's a better king than you. There's a better kingdom that we get to be a part of. So where is our allegiance? Where is our trust? Where is our home? Which kingdom shapes my values? Which kingdom shapes my worldview? And maybe you're finding yourself like Daniel, And like going to work is miserable. Going to school is miserable. And you feel like maybe you live in a dark place. And and Daniel was one of these people that he could have just cursed the darkness all the way to Babylon. He could have just cursed the darkness all the time he lived in that pagan uh, messed up place. But Daniel didn't just curse the darkness. He lit a candle. He, He believed that if you're in a dark place, that that's the best place for the light to be. And if you're in a dark place, your family's in a dark spot right now. Your, your street or your neighborhood's in a dark spot right now. Your, your work is in a dark spot. Your school is in a dark place. You're working in a dark Whatever, that's a great spot for the light to be. And where the light is most needed is where it's dark. And so God, uh, he didn't forget his Daniel. God always remembers his Daniel. 
and God's not going to forget you too. There had to be times in Daniel's life when he's being faithful to God that it probably felt like nobody was watching, nobody was listening, but God was watching. God was listening, and God remembered his Daniel. Okay, So this theme of Daniel is that there's a sovereign God who's, who's, just, who's in charge, and, 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 and our mess cannot, uh, our, our blow-ups aren't bigger than him. And they're not, your, your mess-ups, your sin, your failures are not bigger than him either. A sovereign God can turn your misery into ministry. So when Daniel begins the first three verses, uh, we find that it is the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. He brought them to the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, to the house of his God, placed the vessels in the treasury. Then the king commanded uh, his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of, his, the people of Israel, some of the best and the brightest of the young people. So, so Babylon comes, and, and they destroy Judah. They destroy Jerusalem. They break down the walls. They, they invade the temple. And this was all in fulfillment of promises that God had made. God had told the people, if you keep rebelling against me as parents, do you ever say, you do this thing one more time, and I'm going to, and God actually does that thing. He doesn't make idle threats. And, and he had given his people so many chances. And he allows them to be defeated, not because he hates them, but because he loves them. God lets you be found out in your sin. God lets our sin crush us, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Because he wants abundant life for us. He doesn't want to leave us forever in our junk and in our mess and in our brokenness. And so he allows hardship to happen. He allows difficulty to happen. And God judges his sinful people, allows them to be defeated. Retribution is terrible. The Babylonians come in, they take these consecrated, special, set-apart objects, vessels from God's house, and take them to their own pagan house, their own pagan houses of worship, temples. But not only that, they take God's special, set-apart people, and they take them in chains, and they deport them to Babylon, and, uh, and, 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 and they're taken there uh, uh, to, to live in this dark place. But Israel's sin didn't have the last word. I mean, your sin does not have the last word. God had a bigger plan even when he punished them, even when he brought retribution on them, even when he took them from their place and sent them someplace else. God had a bigger plan. Their sin was not the last word. God was actually sending Daniel and his friends on an involuntary short-term mission trip to Babylon, and he uses them to infiltrate the darkest place on planet Earth. And the scattering wasn't just about judgment, it was about a bigger mission. Daniel's part of an invasion force taking news of God's kingdom to this dark place, and your life, we live? Cool. Your life is a mission trip. For the 50, 60, 40, 30, 20, 70, 80, 90, however long many years you have, your life is a mission trip. And it's a short-term mission trip. It's here and it's gone. Life is a vapor. And we have this question, what am I going to do with this little time I have in Babylon? Will I be just like all the Babylonians around me and expecting that my life is going to work out different than theirs? Or will I take up my cross and follow Jesus? Um, Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Either your life is about, about impacting this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, or you're not who you say you are. You're either a, a missionary or an imposter. You are vessels of the king, set apart vessels of God's house. But just like back here in Daniel, you are placed in a dark place, placed in a dark world, and you have this choice. We have this choice. Will we be conformed or will we be transformed? When you're brought low by sin, or by, anybody ever been brought low? Have I ever blown your life up? 
or maybe somebody else did something and it affected you, when we're brought low by sin or when we're brought low by suffering, your story, because God is sovereign, your story can end up bringing freedom to other people. Your story can bring freedom to other people. Dale Davis wrote, sometimes God allows hardships to reach us because he wants his mercy to reach beyond us. God allows hardship in Daniel's life because God wants to spread his mercy not just to Daniel, but through Daniel, not just to Daniel's people, but even to the most wicked people on planet earth, the Babylonians. When you are walking through hardship, maybe it's because God wants his mercy not just to be poured out on you, but also through you, beyond you to other people. So, so Bill read the passage earlier. Daniel and his friends, they go to Babylon and they get their names taken away. They get new names. They get enrolled in Babylonian school and, 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 and they're, uh, everything, they're, they're being taught how to be good Babylonians. They're far from home, far from their temple. 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter addresses the church and he says, he addresses his letter to exiles scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, the posture of Daniel as an exile, as a stranger in a strange land, that's the posture of every believer that lives in this planet. Your, 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 your identity isn't here. But we have this question of, how do I relate to the world around me? And there's believers, there's Christians, there's churches that say, we need to take a really defensive posture when it comes to our culture. We need to just hunker down and we're going to not listen to the radio, we're not going to listen to popular music, we're not going to watch movies, uh, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to have anything to do with the world out there, we're just going to kind of stay in our little huddle over here and, 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 and we're going to be defensive. And others are the opposite extreme and, and, and we just totally get defined by the world around us and we're totally just absorbed in the world and, and and, and, and the world is shaping us. But neither one of those approaches is going to be really effective at reaching this world for Christ. What is effective is a posture not of, of defense, not of being defined, but a full devotion to Jesus Christ. And what we see in Christ is he enters our world, but he's not of it. He doesn't conform. He points to something greater, and he's always at work taking the brokenness of our culture and pointing beyond to something greater. He's always at work transforming our world to reflect him. So where's your identity? Is it, is it as a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker? Is it a Republican or a Democrat? Is it your race? Is it what, what, where is your true identity? Is it in how hard you work? Is that where you're looking for identity? You're looking for identity in other people. Oh, where is your identity? Where do you base your identity? I want to I read this letter, and, 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 and I promise you I'm not trying to call my wife out because my wife is beautiful and glorious and wonderful. But um, our third daughter, Alma, this morning sprung on us. She wanted to get baptized this morning. And I said dude let's do it and so she went and talked to her mom and mom said no grandma and grandpa have to be here and nana has to be here and so next thing we knew we got this note it said mom and dad dear mom and dad this is from alma our eight-year-old i believe that jesus died on the cross and rose again for us i think family is important but being a member of god's family will have an impact on my life and on everyone i share the gospel with i know you want family to be here but i want to be a baptized member of god's family love alma yeah, her mama still didn't let her get baptized this morning, but <laughs> drives a hard bargain. I'm telling you, I've been trying to bargain with that woman for 17 years. It ain't happening, all right? But what I loved about, what I loved about that letter, what I loved is I looked in Alma's face, she just told her, hey, not this week, um, but, but sometime soon, was I, I saw in that moment where she was placing her identity. My identity isn't the grandma and grandpa, I love them, but that's not where my identity is. I want to be part of what God's doing. I want to be part of God's family. 
And man, if you could just hold on to that eight-year-old truth of where your identity is rooted, what happens with Daniel and his friends? They take his name away from him and they give him other names. What name has the world given you? Fat, stupid, I'm trying not to look at anybody, P-H-A-T, fat, um, like, fat, stupid, lazy, stubborn, addicted. What, what name has the world given you? That's not the name Christ has given you. So Babylon then and now isolates us. See what they did to Daniel and his friends? They take them away from, and they isolate them. Babylon then and now indoctrinates us. You think there's an indoctrination machine at work in our world? through our social media, through our media media, through all these outlets just coming in and telling our brains and telling our hearts what truth is, but that truth is not reflected of God's Word. So what ends up happening through that isolation and through that indoctrination is a lot of confusion. We're confused. Some characteristics of Babylon today, the book of Revelation depicts Babylon as a harlot riding a dragon drunk off the blood of the saints. That's a pretty stark picture. Looks good, seductive, but wicked. Some characteristics of Babylon today are pride. Our pride is constantly being appealed to. Our ego. Seduction. Babylon says, then and now, do what is right in your eyes. Do what you think is right. And man, that pulls at me every single day. So maybe there's a man in here uh, and you're thinking, you know, I'm in this marriage, but I don't want to be married anymore. I bet that person over there could make me happier. I think I would feel better if I just ended my marriage and chased this person. And maybe you're a woman saying, you know what, this guy at work is treating me so much more, uh, giving me so much more attention than, uh, than my husband does. And the world says, Babylon says, hey, if, if, if that's what it's going to take to make you feel good, just run out and do it. Babylon says, do what feels right in your eyes. But that's not what God's word says. Babylon says truth is whatever you want it to be. God's word says truth is found in God's word and in the person of Jesus Christ. Whether we understand it or not. Babylon says chase happiness. Don't worry about holiness. Man, you've known people that, see, that acted like they were holy but they weren't happy, right? And, you know, and maybe you've known people that, were, that seemed happy but they weren't holy. But the reality is, if we chase happiness, we're never going to... We chase happiness harder in our culture than any culture probably ever lived. And we're the least happy. That ought to tell us something. Man, if you chase God, God does want you to be happy. But it's not happiness on our own terms. It's not happiness apart from Christ. There's one path, there's one way for you to be happy, and that's through relationship with Christ. God wants you to be happy. And you chase Him... You're going to get holiness and you're going to get happiness all rolled up into one eventually. Babylon says, shoot first, ask questions later. You found that we live in a world where if we disagree with each other, we're just going to start shooting pretty fast. I'm going to unfriend you. You, you don't like something I said. Man, that's not God. That's not how God's kingdom works. That's how Babylon works. Babylon says, stay in the echo chamber. Only listen to people that say what you believe. But in the midst of Babylon, Daniel resolves. Verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. And it sounds kind of weird. The, 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 what happens with Daniel is, is the king's offering 
the best food off of the king's own table to Daniel and his friends, and Daniel turns down the food, and you're thinking, come on, Daniel, like, don't be a weirdo. I mean, just eat the food, right? Just eat what Babylon, and, and that's coming from people who are eating whatever Babylon's given us. But Daniel says, I, I'm not going to be bought by Babylon. I'm not going to be bought by this king. I'm going to eat some vegetables over here. He's got some reasons for that. primary reason is Daniel will not allow his allegiance to be bought. This points forward to Jesus Christ, who when he's tempted by the evil one in the wilderness, and the, what the evil one tempts him with food too, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make it about my comfort. Another reason Daniel won't eat the king's food is Daniel's book, his, 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 his holy book, what we call the Old Testament, gave specific dietary laws for people of his identity, and Daniel is refusing to let go of his identity as a Hebrew. So he won't eat this stuff that wasn't on God's menu. Thank the Lord we don't live under that. I mean, I don't know how Daniel made it without bacon, but, but, but we don't have to. Daniel's choosing God's word over what's popular. Man, the other Hebrew guys, man, they're just, they're just lapping up the, the king's food. But Daniel is willing to look like a fool. Ever a moment that, we're ten, that, that, that we face temptation and we just do the wrong thing because we don't want to look like a fool? Uh, I've made the wrong choice so many times. Daniel sells out to God, and he doesn't sell out to the king. He doesn't sell out to anything else. My question for us today is, what are we sold out for? What have we sold out to? At the end of the chapter, we read that God gives Daniel this incredible favor, and he's brought before the king. At the end, he looks fitter and better. He's more swole than his friends, and their skin is shiny. And everybody's like, what, what pre-workout are you using? And, you know, what supplements are you on? He's like, man, I've just been eating vegetables and being loyal to God, and God has shown up and been faithful. God does not forget his Daniel. A sovereign God can turn your misery into ministry. Man, I know there were times Daniel wanted to quit. Man, there were times Daniel felt so lonely, afraid, alone. And somehow, by God's grace, he persevered. He said, man, I can't be different if I'm acting like everybody else. And so he set his mind, he set his heart, he resolved in his heart that he would not be defiled. And that may sound really, really, really old-fashioned. But, but what if we resolve in our heart that we would not be defiled? We would not give ourselves away sexually outside of God's covenant. We would not give ourselves over to drugs and alcohol or overeating, we would, what if we, what if we de determined in our heart that we would not defile ourselves, our souls, our hearts with porn, that we would not defile ourselves? And we can't do that by ourselves. We need help. We need to trust Jesus one hour at a time, one day at a time, by his grace, by his spirit. We need community in our lives. And, and Daniel found community with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He found that. He had to forge that with them. It would have been easy for Daniel to say, I'm just the only one that cares, so what's the point? You ever feel that way at work? Nobody cares like I care. What's the point? Just quit. Quit trying. You ever feel like that in your marriage? I'm the only one trying, so why should I try? Daniel had that excuse. But God told Elijah one time, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 other people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone. You're not alone. And even if nobody else sees, God sees. 
God knows. God remembers, and God's favor rests on Daniel. He gets an audience with the king. A sovereign God can turn your misery into ministry. God has done this for me in my own life, and I'm not going to bore you with the details, but he's done it multiple times in my life. He's turned my misery into opportunity. Jesus is better than Daniel. Just like Daniel, Jesus left his home, and Jesus went to a faraway country filled with sinners. Jesus went into the heart of darkness, and he refused to conform. He refused to compromise with evil. Jesus resolved to embrace sinners, and yet he himself was without sin. He's the great missionary who scatters and sends his people throughout Babylon as missionaries. Daniel's faithfulness gave Daniel favor with an earthly king. You know, Jesus also got brought before an earthly king. And Jesus' faithfulness landed him on a cross so that you and I could boldly enter the throne of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So as the band comes up, I don't want, I don't want the punchline of this message to, to be, go be a Daniel, although, man, there's so much in Daniel's life that we, we can model ourselves after. And the punchline is, are you chasing Christ? Or are you conforming to this world? So how would God call you to repent? How would God call you to repent? As you think about your life, are you compromising morally? Are you compromising sexually? Are you compromising spiritually? Are you compromising with what you say? Are you compromising with your attitude? How would God call you to repent and return to him? How is God calling you to resolve Man, I'm not going to be like everybody else because it's not working for them. How's God calling you to resolve that you will not defile yourself, but that you will not be conformed, but that you will be transformed? Specifically, how's God calling you to repent? How's God calling you to resolve? And I ask you before this day is over to tell somebody, tell your life group, tell somebody you're walking with Christ in, this is how I'm repenting. This is how I'm resolving. And most importantly, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the Lord. Man, you had some great examples, 18 examples of people that, of all ages. Do you believe that Jesus Christ stepped into this world, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, did for you and me what we could not do for ourselves, rose again from the dead, overcoming sin, death, hell, and the grave? Is it time for you to follow him?